Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Thursday, August 4th, 2022. Here's the happy headline uh, in the uh, New York Times. Happy for me because I believe in civilization as opposed to utter chaos and fascism. That's me speaking to my guests. Uh, Happy headline, New York Times, Kansas decision to keep abortion. Boys, Democrats, warning for the GOP, lopsided vote signals a danger of overreach post Roe v. Wade. And uh, yes, they're alluding, obviously, uh, to the referendum that took place Tuesday in Kansas on whether uh, Kansas would approve the eradication of abortion rights in a state. Let me set this up in a state that voted 56% for Donald John Trump in 2020, in a state that is uh, pretty red, okay, Uh, generally in the red category, in a state whose politics once prompted a Thomas Frank to write a book called What's the Matter with Kansas, okay? So uh, that's the backdrop, and uh, 59% uh, estimated, the last I saw, of the vote went to uh, preserve abortion rights in the state of Kansas. Suddenly, the election that looked one way about two months ago is looking a different way now. And in that election, I mean, uh, the uh, midterms in November in which the fate of Congress and the Senate and gubernatorial uh, uh, positions throughout the country will uh, be up for grabs. So without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves because we're going to take the deep dive and all this political stuff. And uh, these two guests... Uh, good, good friends and longtime uh, favorites of the Ben Jarowski show, and they've been uh, haven't been on in a while, so I'm glad to bring them back. So I'm going to ask guest whose first initial is D, as in David, to introduce himself. D, introduce yourself. Dan Pugajelski, is that is that what you were looking for? <laughs> Always a pleasure to be on with the wonderful Ben Jarowski, as well as the other political know-it-all, none other than Mr. 
Jacob Kaplan, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party. <laughs> yes, executive director of the Cook County Democratic Party and the political know-it-alls have been coming on my show ever since I had a show. They stayed with me after I got fired. Uh, very good friends of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Danny P., uh, as we like to call him, uh, and Jacob Kaplan. And uh, so before we get started uh, with the news of the day and all the uh, political stories that we have to follow, we could start with Kansas, but we could give a shout out to young Daniel. Uh, he was victorious in his first run. I believe, Dan, it was your first run for office, elected office, water uh, reclamation uh, board. And uh, you were victorious in the Democratic primary, which pretty much guarantees that you'll be victorious in November. But you watch Jacob Kaplan. He's going to have a different spin on it when he uh, starts talking right now. So, Dan, congratulations. Thank you very much. It's incredibly kind of you. Um, uh, you know, obviously, as somebody that's been a, a big fan of your show, it's amazing to be on back on here with you and very grateful to everyone for their support. Yeah, he won. He, uh, the man won. It was neck, It was really close. And uh, Danny and I have a really good friend, a uh, mutual friend. I'll just say his name is Anthony. He likes to not to, uh, you know, come out. He's more of in the back rooms kind of guy. But we were texting each other. Did Danny win? Did Danny win? I don't know. It's, uh, it, the, the, it's the, all the vote's not in yet. He was. You were down when, when Anthony and I were texting on election night. And I didn't want to reach out to you like it was bad news, you know. Like, oh, did you win? And, uh, so talk a little bit about you know, just a little bit of what it was like on election night, that uh, back and forth, uh, the way it was going with you. Well, uh, it's it's the same thing that many folks experienced two years ago, all right, with the red mirage. Uh, in this case, you have, because since the pandemic, we've had an increase in vote by mail. And what that's meant is that there's different electorates that show up on election day and different uh, electorates that show up uh, previous to that. And so uh, I had held out hope that a vote by mail would have a different result. Uh, in fact, I currently work for State Treasurer Michael Frerichs, and uh, he was down uh, on election night and then ended up bringing it home because the fact that he had had such a strong operation in 2014 uh, with regards to vote by mail. And so, especially on our side of the aisle, that's something that that uh, our electorate uh, is much more comfortable with, much more used to, and takes advantage of. And I'm incredibly thankful that uh, after uh, a week and a half of, uh, <laughs> of being unsure of what the status is, uh, when folks would say congratulations because they had seen the suburban results, not knowing that the city of Chicago has its own board of elections, uh, it was a beautiful thing to be able to say that, yeah, indeed, uh, had clinched the race. In other words, the suburban, uh, you were winning in the suburbs, but not in the city. Uh, so folks would see the suburban results and go, oh, Dan won, not realizing that the, there were votes in the city that had to be uh, taken uh, into account, correct? That is accurate. Put so succinctly, Ben, as always. <laughs> no, I've made that mistake myself many times with elections. Uh, I have done that so many times. I look at the wrong. Uh, I look, it's not one's not right, one that's not wrong. But I only get half the picture, uh, and then I'll congratulate someone. And oops! <laughs> but I held back, man. Uh, and then Anthony reminded me. He goes, "You know, Danny won." I go, "What?" So uh, uh, anyway, all right. Let's bring Jacob Kaplan and the other part of the uh, political know-it-alls. They get that name because they know it all. Uh, but every now and then I stump them with a trivia question and they're like running for the internet to get it right, see if they can get it right. 
Uh, Jacob Kaplan, uh, executive director of Cook County Democratic Party. Um, let's start with Kansas. We'll, we'll move to, to Illinois. But uh, that headline in the, that I began the show with uh, really uh, says it all. Uh, Kansas' decision to keep abortion uh, really pumps up Democrats because it was looking pretty bleak for Democrats uh, in January and February. It was a typical midterm election. The, the incumbent party, the party that's in the White House, expects to lose. Uh, and, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy was pounding his chest and already figuring out what he was going to do as Speaker of the House. Uh, and uh, old boy Mitch McConnell was all fired up because he thought he was going to take over the Senate. And now all of a sudden it's, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, talk a little bit about Kansas uh, and the impact it has on November. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, I think everyone was uh, – I was certainly shocked uh, by the by the results, the fact that almost uh, – you know, that the, the no vote, meaning the vote not to amend the Kansas Constitution to ultimately allow them to ban abortion, uh, won by almost 20 points in a state that I think everybody kind of, you know, it, it, from a distance thinks, oh, it's Kansas is socially conservative, there's no way, or at least it's going to be a very close vote. The fact that the, uh, that the pro-choice side won such a hand, you know, such a clear victory uh, sends a message and shows that there's a lot of people that are upset. And this was not a victory that uh, was only felt in, you know, in the suburbs or in the urban areas of Kansas. There were even some rural counties that uh, where the no vote won. So clearly there's a lot of people, a lot of women very mad about the Dobbs decision. And I think we started seeing that, you know, right after the Dobbs decision, a couple weeks after the polling actually started moving a little bit in the Democrats' favor, if you looked at kind of the generic uh, congressional ballot. And I think that's uh, some people were saying, oh, that's just statistical noise. But no, I think the Dobbs, you know, the uh, Kansas vote shows that uh, it's true. It, it is a major issue. It's going to drive people to the polls. Now, I do caution that uh, the this result, you know, on a referendum, a, you know, a, a, a constitutional amendment is not the same as a, you know, a Democrat versus Republican straight up election in a November midterm. Uh, so I don't think that just because we see this result in Kansas, that means all of a sudden Democrats are are in great shape and we're going to have nothing to worry about and we're going to, you know, easily maintain control of Congress. That's not the case. It's still a tough environment for Democrats. It's still a situation where, unfortunately, Biden's polling hasn't been the best lately. And, uh, you know, though, hopefully, you know, the recent uh, things, you know, movement in Congress will turn things around a bit. But it does mean you know, that we're going to see high turnout on the Democratic side as well. So, you know, we were worried about uh, Democrats not turning out in midterms. But in this case, and seeing what happened in Kansas, I think we can be pretty certain that it's going to be a high turnout election, probably on both sides. And I think we could uh, we could potentially keep the Senate. I'm not so sure about the House. I'm still holding out hope there. But I think the Senate right now is a clear toss up or maybe even leaning a little bit Democrats way. And uh, the Dobbs decision, I think, is where things started moving in our direction. All right, uh, Jacob, you made a point, and I want to follow up on it. You said um, there's a difference between a referendum uh, and an election uh, in which a Democrat's running against uh, a Republican. Uh, so explain the difference and the strategy uh, differences that that uh, implies. Go ahead. Well, I mean, so the, the Kansas referendum was a, you know, it was a ballot referendum. So it was you went in, you wrote, voted yes or no. So you didn't have to poll necessarily a i mean certainly it was a, it was as part of the primary election in kansas so a lot of people were showing up to vote for republicans or democrats as well but 
actually, if you look at the votes for like governor, the governor's race of Kansas, there were a lot more people that voted uh, for this referendum than actually voted in the in the governor's primary uh, in the in the race. So the point is, I think when you're talking about a clear yes/no vote on a uh, on a referendum, it's it's a little bit of a different uh, story in terms of uh, the the voting electorate than a partisan race, Democrat versus Republican. That's not to say that. Uh, you know, things still may not move and aren't moving in the Democrats' direction because of the Dobbs decision, but there's a lot more things that go into play when people are determining who to vote for than just yes or no on a, uh, should we amend the Constitution to allow abortion to, uh, you know, ban, be banned in this state. So it's, it's complicated, in other words. It's not, I, I do think it's very good news for Democrats, but it's not, it's not uh, clear as some have been, uh, you know, saying it is, I would say. Yeah. And there's also, uh, we're uh, as we're having this conversation, it's August, so you have September, October, it's still three months uh, for all kinds of unforeseen events to occur and maybe uh, Republicans to try to figure out how to change their position on this, although I don't see any evidence, Jacob, any evidence at all that MAGA's uh, withdrawing its uh, hard uh, opposition to abortion. I don't see any evidence anywhere. I'm watching Darren Bailey here in Illinois do ducking and dodging and dancing and weaving. I say he's D, uh, D.B. Travolta because I've never seen so much dancing uh, from a Republican politician in a while uh, on the issue. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't see them backing off. I'm, if they were smart, they would. I mean, seeing this race, if I was a Republican strategist, I would say, you know, after what the Kansas vote, we got to moderate a bit. It's clear people may be for some restrictions, but they're not for an outright ban on abortion. We need to moderate ourselves a bit. But you know, I'm, I'm not sure they're going to do that because of their wacky base. <laughs> yeah. Dan, your thoughts about this? Uh, I, I concur with Jake is that uh, the Republican base has shown that they are not uh, they are not for these radical restrictions on women's health care. And yet they're plowing full steam ahead. Now, um, granted, we've seen that with the Republican base, uh, Oftentimes, they've still been able to overcome the unpopularity of their and still clinch victory. Uh, so I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind. Uh, Republicans have been running on unpopular political positions since the time of Reagan and often winning. And so for us counting on that, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a very um, tricky proposition. Uh, Republicans haven't really been running on many popular positions when you look at whether it's been getting rid of Medicare, whether it's been getting rid of Social Security, and it, you know, that did not, pro, uh, that didn't stop the Republicans from gaining power numerous times over the years. Dan, do you have any Republican opposition in your race in November? I do not. Okay. Uh, if we're going to mention my race, I did want to say thank you to someone who's a big fan of your show. His name is Jeff Mordern. He's from the Chicago Lansing uh, a ditch district. And, uh, when I talked to him, he's like, wait, from the Ben Jurassic show. So I'm very hopeful that he's, that, that, that he'll be hearing this and he'll get to hear his name. So I, I'd feel remiss right. if I didn't give him a shout out since he's such a big fan of yours. Uh, and he listens to myself and Jacob, uh, on your show. All right. Uh, and I, I, I I'm going to put this uh, out there for everyone to hear. I hope you keep, uh, showing up as a, uh, 
uh, political know-it-all that you don't say, well, Ben, you know, I'm an elected official now, and I'm just like, I can't do it. <laughs> uh, Jacob and I, something Jacob and I talked about uh, off when you weren't there, like, yeah, no, you're staying, and I don't want to hear any excuses. Uh, and, you, and, no, and no ducking and dodging when the questions come, all right? Uh, he, Jacob's been feeling hardballs for three years. He never ducks or dodges a question. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's get at it a little bit. Uh, let's, let's move a little local. Uh, this, this, uh, <laughs> I mentioned this sort of, uh, Jacob, but... Um, I'm smiling as I say this. My old friend, uh, and he was very helpful to me in my political career. I'm not going to rewrite history. Uh, former Alderman Bob Fioretti. I used to be the Alderman, a Democrat, good Democrat from the second ward. One of the few Democrats that had the guts to occasionally uh, uh, you know, defy Mayor Daley, Richard M. Daley. Uh, and uh, he was gerrymandered out of his district, and he just kind of went into political exile. Uh, he's been all over the map running for this, that, and the other thing. And out of nowhere, Bob Fioretti, uh, who I always thought was a good Democrat, in the middle of this MAGA revolution, in the middle of what is like an attempt to undo democracy in our country, this is me speaking, not Jacob Kaplan, has decided, Bob Friaretti has, to run as a Republican against Tony Preckwinkle. And I understand political ambition. I understand a guy wants to get ahead in his career. I understand he's eager and anxious to have some office. But of all the times to join, in the Republican Party. I'm like, I, I can't get the words out, JK, Jacob Kaplan. I'm like, this is not the Bob Fioretti I know and love. And I know he's running against your boss, Tony Preckwinkle, so you're all fired up to do this, but I'm just speaking from my heart here that I am really disappointed uh, that Bob Fioretti would lend his name and whatever credibility that name brings it to MAGA at this time. Take it away, Jacob Kaplan. I agree. I really don't understand it. You know, I used to be a, a fan of Bob as well some years ago. But I mean, at this point, he's run, I think it's been six times for different offices in seven years and lost every race. And, uh, you know, it's why he decided now after being a lifelong Democrat to switch parties and run as a Republican is beyond me. I mean, to be on the ticket of the party of Donald Trump and Darren Bailey is <laughs> crazy to me in this environment. And I mean, I don't think, you know, the last time a Republican won a countywide race in Cook County, I think was 1992, and that was a different Republican Party. I don't think there's any shot of Republicans winning a countywide race in Cook County this time around, that's for sure, or any time in the, in, the, uh, in the near future. So, you know, and then they, they so they, the Republicans appointed a whole slate. They appointed Tony Parika, another, uh, <laughs> another guy with a long political history, former county commissioner to run against Karen Yarbrough. They appointed people to run against all of our, you know, countywide candidates in this. And that's their rights. They can do that. And but I just I don't see in this environment how Republicans have a shot at all to uh, to do anything or gain any sort of traction in Cook County. So it's beyond me as to why they're doing it. I'm going to push back with you and see how you respond to this. I understand it's their right because the rules state. Follow me on this, ladies and gentlemen. This is a bizarre thing. Jacob kind of like filled in the rules for me. The guy's memorized the rule book. Uh, but so traditionally, uh, if there's to be on the ballot to represent the Democratic or Republican Party uh, in a general election, one must run in the primary and be victorious. If nobody runs in the primary, the state law allows the party to uh, select someone, and the party means the committeeman of the, of the Republican or Democratic Party. 
all right, Jacob, I want to hear, you're almost done with law school. You're able to defend any legal position. I want to hear a defense of this. I feel this is anti-democratic, small d. I think people should run. Bobby Fioretti, if he wanted to be Cook County board president, should have run for, he knew the position was there, could have run as a Republican. Nobody else ran. He would have been, he would have been the Republican candidate. He would have been the Republican nominee, clear and simple. Uh, and I say this, I just had Heidi Henry. I know they're going to go, Ben, you're a hypocrite. You had Heidi Henry on. And Heidi Henry is uh, running uh, as a state rep from 75th. I, uh, wishing her all the good luck in the world. Well, you know what? If this, that's the situation, then that, the Democrats should avail of it as well. They shouldn't just for the principle of things not take advantage of it. Okay, so Jacob, I'm not saying that. But defend the notion that a party has a right after the fact uh, to go fill a vacancy when they didn't have it together to run candidate in the first go round. Go ahead. Well, I think it's, you know, the party has a right to uh, to run candidates and, and there's a party primary that happens and people vote in. But if nobody ran in that primary f for the party, I mean, there's an argument that it actually is more democratic to allow them still an opportunity to put somebody on the ballot for the general election rather than the other party just running unopposed. So I will say also, it's not like the old days. Some years ago, the party committee people could just meet and appoint somebody and that person was just on the ballot. They didn't have to do anything else. Now, they have a petition requirement. They still have to go out and get signatures. This time around, they had a limited time to do it in, and they still did. Got thousands of signatures. So it's still you still have to show some sort of support when you do that. It's not like you get a free pass. You still have to go get signatures. But I think the argument is, again, is it, isn't it more democratic to have more candidates, even if it's not the perhaps the best or the preferred route? I mean, they should have run in the primary. But if there, nobody runs in the primary or maybe – you know, this also somebody can pass away, you know, there can be somebody can resign from the ballot. So there can be all sorts of scenarios where the party has to appoint somebody after the primary. And that's this allows them to do it. And that's what happened here. Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to, to chime in here because uh, when people get elected is whether it's a state central committee person or Democratic, they have a job, they have a responsibility that is to build the party and they are in turn elected. Right. Um when the voters come out to elect a person to be the head of the Democratic or Republican Party, right, in each ward of Chicago, in each suburban township, or in the over 100 counties which exist in the state of Illinois or throughout the United States, um, they are elected to help build their party. And so when you have a situation where nobody has run for a position, uh, going and trying to get more people to be on the ballot, um, that is um, that is not something that is not democratic, in my opinion. I concur with Jake. All right. Well, I like I said, uh, you, each of you could just call me a freaking hypocrite because I just had Heidi Henry on the show last week, uh, and she is uh, running against some uh, MAGA lunatic uh, up in uh, uh, horse country in the hinterlands. She always teases me. Uh, and uh, this guy, the, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jed Davis is her, the opponent. Is so far to the right uh, that he ousted a, uh, a sitting Republican. In a, in a, it was, it was, so it was a, one of those cases, Jacob, where uh, a MAGA uh, insurgent uh, defeated a more or less conventional Republican. Now I am in the position right now. Get your thoughts on this, Jacob. Uh, that all there's really very little distinction uh, between the both. And let me give you an example. I was talking about this earlier in the show. Uh, the, 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 the strategy employed 
uh, by J.B. Pritzker uh, and other Democrats throughout the country to uh, participate, if, if you will, uh, in other primaries uh, by running ads that proclaim one candidate to be the maggiest MAGA candidate in the race, knowing that'll attract. Uh, it's, it's positioned as a warning to voters that this guy's totally MAGA, but obviously the message getting out is, oh my God, if you're for MAGA, you're for this guy. And they're sort of advancing the campaigns of people that they think will be easier to beat. Adam Kinzinger uh, said this, he was quoted in the New York Times, I'm gonna read this to you, Jacob. Uh, it's disgusting, this practice. You're going to have election deniers win in November. So while I think a certain number of Democrats truly understand that democracy is threatened, don't come to me after uh, spending money supporting an election denier in a primary and then come to me and say, where are all the good Republicans? And when I first read that, Jacob, I was like, you know what, Kinzinger, I kind of agree with you. And I've been reflecting upon it. You know what I discovered, what I thought, Jacob? I'm like, why are you blaming this, Adam Kinzinger, on Democrats? Democrats put out how nutty, they put campaign commercials there to show how nutty these MAGA lunatics are, and the result, the impact, is that Republican voters show up to vote for them. The problem is not J.B. Pritzker funding ads showing how nutty MAGA is. The problem is that 40 to 45% of this country has become subscribing to a MAGA cult. I would say that's a greater threat uh, than what JB. Uh, uh, your thoughts on all this? I, I, I agree. I think it's 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 all about the candidates. They're there, and they they shouldn't be running on those platforms. And I, it is to some degree, it can be distasteful when parties play in each other's primaries. But it's something that's been going on to a certain extent for years. I mean, I realize now it's it appears more to be like playing with fire because of the uh, election deniers and things like that. But on the other hand, one thing I'm just curious about, and I don't know how to measure this, but I just wonder how much of an effect it really has. I mean, are you going to tell me that uh, Darren Bailey wouldn't have won if uh, if Pritzker hadn't played in that primary and, and notified voters about uh, the fact that he was the more conservative person rather than Richard Irvin? I, I don't know. I don't think Richard Irvin was going to win either way, personally, looking at the results. So I just wonder how much of an effect it really has. I think Republic, the Republican primary electorate has become so conservative and so MAGA. I'm not sure that it that the, the Democrats playing in these primaries really was the was the uh, the ultimate thing that caused the voters to vote one way or the other. I think they were going to probably vote for the nuttier candidate either way. But I don't know. I, it's something that's hard to measure. But that's that's kind of my take on it. Dan. Uh, well, on the one hand, one is playing with fire when one tries to think of who the more beatable candidate is right we make it yeah. we make a bet we make a decision uh, but there were people in 2016 who thought well donald trump he could never get elected right there's no way that donald john trump could ever win uh, he might win a republican primary but he could never win the presidency and uh, <laughs> we were wrong about that but to jacob's point uh th this is what the electorate wants uh, their electorate wants. And if that's what their electorate wants, um, is it really, is it really making that much of a difference? Uh, I concur with Jacob. I think that Darren Bailey was well on his way to winning the Republican primary, uh, well before, uh, any ads came out by the democratic governors association. And so that has to be taken into account as well. When you really look at this, uh, phenomenon.
Yes, and to Jacob's point, uh, this is not, not by no means is this new. In fact, now I have a moment, an opportunity that I didn't realize I was going to have when the show began uh, to test the know-it-alls uh, political knowledge of events that happened before they were born. Okay, so here we go. They're like, uh-oh, they're sweating. Danny P is sweating bullets right now. But I think Jacob can handle this. All right, so yes, uh, this is an uh, old strategy. Uh, in politics in America, getting involved uh, in another party's primary and to influence it, to set up uh, to have a candidate that you think is easier to beat. This is not the first time this has been done, as Jacob said. All right, here you go, Jacob. This will test your political trivia knowledge. Uh, this is a strategy employed by none other than Richard Milhouse Nixon, a former president of the United States, in 1972. Uh, Whose campaign was he trying to help in the Democratic Party, and which campaign was he in particular trying to hinder Jacob Kaplan? Go. I think he was trying to help George McGovern. Am I not right on that? You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hinder. I'm a little rustier on Danny that. Danny will know the hinder. Yeah. Danny will know the Wendy hinder. Humphrey? Nope. Oh, my God. I am very disappointed <laughs> with young Daniel P. Uh, he's one of the great Polish-American politicians of the 20th century. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, how that was, of course, no, Edmund Muskie. In fact, the documentation that came out about it, that uh, the, the famous uh, scene of uh, Ed Muskie supposedly crying when his wife was attacked, that it was a total setup. Yes. By some of Nixon's uh, friends in the journalistic world. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. So no, uh, uh, yeah, no. We cannot forget Ed Muskie, uh, and uh, it also, uh, went, yeah, senator from Maine, uh, and also Hubert Humphrey's uh, vice presidential candidate in 1968. Uh, I know Jacob Kaplan knew that. I should have asked him that as a trivia question. All right, one more trivia question. Uh, we'll put Jacob on the spot again. Uh, it also happened. Uh, in the 1966 California gubernatorial. <laughs> The stuff I know. You, who were the Democrats trying to assist in 1966? Jacob Kaplan. That is a good question. Uh, was it probably assisting Reagan? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Ronald Reagan. You talk about yeah. a miscalculation. Yeah. Okay. You know, win, we'll have right? the, the no. actor. No one will vote for an actor. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> At that time, he already had the... the um, People thought he was too conservative, right? And well, that's why they, they, what happened yeah. with Goldwater, uh, they thought, well, this is a surefire solution. And uh, every time you bet against Reagan with that uh, with that logic, you were wrong. And this yeah. once again highlights the peril when we're talking about yes. uh, when, when we're talking about what happened in Kansas, right? And, and uh, Republicans have been running on unpopular positions for a long time. Don't yeah. overanalyze it. Yeah, I, I uh, you, you, your own worst enemy uh, half the time when you do this, I get very nervous uh, when they do it. But I, 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 so I don't like the strategy, but I just thought it was really twisted and weird for Adam Kinzinger to look at what ha has gone down in the Democratic and the Republican primary uh, and not realize that there's something really wrong with uh, where his party is if if you accentuate the nuttiness, that helps them win. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're the good Republicans. Well, they're not, first of all, I don't know if there were ever any good Republicans uh, since the 60s, but 
a few. Jacobs, that doesn't he? he does. What about Judy Bartopinka? Yeah, I did not vote for Judy Bartopinka. You guys are going to say uh, she's one of the good. I, I well, must confess, I did not vote for. Her. I didn't vote for her either, but she was a good Republican. <laughs> she was compared to <laughs> compared to these Looney Tunes. In fact, yeah. George, uh, George Ryan. I was yeah. the only one of I believe was the only one of my family that didn't vote for. I voted Democrat. I can't believe I voted uh, for Glenn Pichard over. I I just could not bring myself, Jacob Kaplan, to vote for a Republican. I couldn't do it. Sorry, I just wow. It was just couldn't do it. Uh, but I may have made a mistake there. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, Darren Bailey's what I consider uh, hideously anti-Jewish comments uh, that uh, were uh, publicized from 2017. He was speaking in a Facebook message uh, to his followers, uh, and he was uh, explaining why he's vehemently opposed to any kind of abortion. He considers it murder. Uh, and he went on to say, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, along the lines, it's worse than what uh, the, the Germans did to the Jews in the Holocaust. Uh, I found that uh, exceedingly uh, hostile, to put it mildly, uh, to uh, Jewish people. Uh, trivializing what went down in the Holocaust, equating a woman's right to choose to get a medical procedure with slaughtering people who are like out there walking in the streets. Uh, not all journalists agree with me on this point. Eric Zorn has said, has absolved uh, Darren Bailey of anti-Semitism. Greg Hines has absolved Darren Bailey of anti-Semitism. Uh, I disagree with uh, Greg uh, and Eric very much on this uh, in this case, I do believe it's exceedingly hostile to Jewish people uh, and is trying to pick up in some subterranean way the uh, anti-Jewish attitudes that are prevalent uh, in the MAGA movement uh, and uh, the QAnon movement, et cetera, and so forth. So it's a tricky way of feeding into it. And uh, I think it's dangerous to pretend as though it's not uh, anti-Jewish. That's just me speaking. Jacob Kaplan, your thoughts? I agree with you 100%. I think I find it very uh, anti-Semitic. And here's here's a tip for anybody running for office or just anybody. When you uh, are thinking you're going to compare something to the Holocaust, just stop yourself and don't. It's never a good idea. And you're going to end up having to apologize for it and backtrack. And it's going to piss a whole lot of people off. So why would you ever do that? Like, I just, the fact that he would ever consider doing that, even if he thinks it, is... Uh, beyond me. So that's my take on it. Well, to answer your question, and this is this is the scary part that I think Greg and Eric overlooking, ask that question. Why would he do that? Because he's trying to trivialize one thing uh, in comparison to the other. It's, it's the same motivation uh, after the shootings in Buffalo, where 10 uh, people were killed at a grocery store uh, in a black neighborhood in Buffalo a few months ago. There were uh, Republicans were going, well, Planned Parenthood's killed more black people. I'm like, what? What? Yeah, why would You're, you? <laughs> I can't even get the words out. Yeah. It's like, how are you comparing one to the other unless you're just trying to trivialize what happened uh, yeah. in Buffalo and to undercut in that particular case uh, the uh, effort to have uh, saner gun laws, Jacob? You agree with me? I do. I, I Again, that's the same thing. Why would you make that? comparison and it's just it's so distasteful it's such an insult to the people that uh, to the victims of all those situations whether you're talking about the holocaust or the people killed in buffalo it's like anytime you make those comparisons you're just you know it, it's just gonna get a whole lot of people upset and 
it's just not a good idea. It's, it just shows somebody's character when they make those sorts of, uh, sorts of analogies. And it's just, don't do it. <laughs> That's all I can say. Dan, your thoughts? Uh, 100%. Uh, why people keep on doing this, it is disgusting. It is abhorrent, especially as somebody who my great-grandfather died in Auschwitz. Uh, my grandfather, his twin brother, and his other brother uh, were among the earliest prisoners. They survived the camp. Uh, it displays not only hubris, but also jaw-dropping ignorance, because I doubt that um, or many of the people who, who make these uh, parallels to the Holocaust really understand its horrific scope uh, its, hor its horrific scope and uh, the devastation and just I'm, uh, words words simply fail when you're trying to, to to really communicate how horrible the Holocaust truly was how much death destructions there's a reason why Timothy Snyder wrote the book Bloodlands to talk about uh, just when you're talking about the death and destruction that the uh, German Nazi regime brought upon uh, Eastern and Central Europe uh, and the disgusting efficiency uh, and disregard that they had for other humans. And uh, it, it's, it's happened before. It will happen again. But it's also important to call it out because it is unacceptable. Yeah, I'm with you. And when it's treated just like, oh, it's a campaign issue. Uh, this is this this is the part that really, not a campaign issue. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. This is this is a human issue. Yeah. This is it's it's unfortunate that humans have been inhuman towards others. It's happened in the past. It will happen again. Uh, but allowing people to gloss over. Uh, just the industrialization of murder to an extent that had been unprecedented uh, is, is something that not only makes no sense, but it lies at the root of the trivialization of human life, which really is a, a large underpinning of the whole Holocaust in the first place. All right, let's uh, uh, shift gears to a national conversation briefly. Uh, before we close, and I'm going to make a concession here on the show. Uh, I have been trashing uh, Senator Charles Schumer for, for as long as I can remember. Uh, I've, I've always thought he was an ineffective uh, leader of the Dems in the Senate. Uh, if, if I, I've spent a lot of time comparing and contrasting uh, Schumer and Pelosi, uh, Jacob Kaplan. Would you, would you prefer uh, Durbin? Is it, is it the Chicago and yeah? Well, it's not the Chicago thing. Uh, I don't know if I would prefer Durbin. That's a great uh, intervention because Schumer got it over Durbin. Uh, he outmaneuvered Durbin to be uh, to get the presidency. Uh, and I had a long conversation with an old friend of mine, Tom Brune, uh, who covers uh, Washington for Newsday. He's the Newsday bureau chief. Uh, and as Newsday is a newspaper in Long Island. And as such, he is like, always interviewing Chuck Schumer. And he kind of opened my eye. We're gonna, I'm gonna do a whole segment with him. We're gonna talk about Schumer and how he operates. And, uh, and, and I always thought Schumer was being outmaneuvered by everybody. Uh, Tom Bruin, it's, he's not saying this as a defender of what Charles Schumer's policies. He's just 
watching him as the guy playing the game. You get what I'm saying? So it's not like a defense of what Charles Schumer's ideological stance is, if he has an ideological stance, but just how he plays the game. Uh, and he always, he's a far more effective, uh, Ben, than you're giving him credit for. And uh, that's what Tom said to me. And I was thinking about it and how out of nowhere he cut this deal, Schumer did with Manchin, to, uh, they, they changed the name. <laughs> I think they're slick. This is like some Chicago political stuff. They changed the name of the bill. So like people think there was some, some substantive difference in it. Uh, and Man Manchin signed on. They still haven't gotten cinema uh, to sign on the climate change bill, which is now the inflation fighter bill. Uh, Jacob, have I been unfair in your humble opinion to Charles Schumer? Is he more effective than I give him credit for? Go. Well, I think it all depends on if this uh, ultimately passes. But I, I think if, if this does come to fruition, and I Looks like it probably will as soon as they get cinema on board, and I think they will. I mean, to uh, to go from a bill that everyone thought was dead, completely dead, you know, the, and a, such an important, the most important climate legislation that's ever been passed in in American history, and if this actually passes, despite the renaming it to the Inflation Reduction Act and passing it through reconciliation and all the the tricks that had to be done that are going to be shepherded through, hopefully, I mean. That is huge credit to Schumer to do that. He is the leader, and he gets it done. It's uh, it's amazing, and I, I I would compare it to the sort of thing that uh, that Harry Reid was able to get done, the previous uh, majority leader. I mean, Harry Reid was famous for working these types of behind the scenes deals and getting uh, getting things through. Ultimately, even through convoluted uh, parliamentary maneuvers and and ways to pass bills. And it looks like Schumer uh, is is taking some Harry Reid lessons this time around. And look, if it works. He's, uh, you know, a genius for getting this done. That's all I got to say. Uh, and do you think there it will have an impact uh, in November? Let's say they finally figure out a way to get cinema to sign on. They still haven't got cinema to sign on. Uh, so that's the, they need 50 uh, to outdo the, again, every Republican lined up against it. What a country, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Adam Kinzinger, please show me the good Republicans there, okay? Uh, <laughs> show me where they are in that bill. Uh, all right, so every Republican, even Susan Collins, are all lined up against it. So Kamala Harris is the decisive vote in that case. Uh, so uh, is your uh, do you think, let's say they, they convince Sinema to, to vote with them and it passes, uh, do you think that will have an impact uh, in November? Uh, it's hard to say. I think it will. I think it'll, uh, the, the problem is, of course, a lot of things in the bill aren't going to take effect for a long time and they're, they're long-range things. But the fact that we get such a huge bill passed will probably have an impact on Biden's approval rating. It'll probably tick back up because people will see the fact that uh, something got done. So even if it ticks up two or three points, that's enough that I think can make a difference in the grand scheme of things uh, in the environment for Democrats in November. So I think it helps. Hard to say how much. We'll have to wait for the polling on that. But uh, it's a good thing. It'll be a very good thing for Democrats if this gets done. Dan? Uh, I'd like to go back to the first uh, first thing that, that you guys had mentioned, which is about the renaming, rebranding. How many conversations have we had yeah. on this radio show <laughs> when it came to the missteps, yes. the missteps of our own party when it comes messaging, right? We've seen the circular firing squad where, you know, instead of keep it simple, stupid, it's just you know, uh, just totally doesn't make sense. Sure. Uh, folks can try to poke fun at the inflation reduction act. Genius. 
political genius, right? Uh, we've seen the Republicans run circles around us for years with uh, on-point messaging. I'm glad that we're that we're doing the same with this, 100. percent And, and uh, I hope we do more of it. We need to. Uh, I mean. Take a look at how good the Republicans have been in general when it comes to messaging. I'm glad that we're doing this, and let's do more of it in the future. I'll tell you what, the happiest man in America right now is Danny P. He's got touche, Ben. All right, Jacob, your response. <laughs> yes, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's it, it, again, assuming this passes, it is, it is rare for Democrats to be this— uh, this smart when it comes to messaging and who cares what it's called as long as, it, as long as it passes and the good stuff is in the bill i could care less what it's called it's just you know and if that helps uh you know joe manchin sell it to his west virginia constituents by all means let's do it but again this is the sort of smart uh messaging that democrats tend to uh shy away from or not be good at for lack of a better term and hopefully this gets done and we uh, we learn some lessons from it well, I got to say, I was schooled on that one. Uh, Danny P. blocked my shot. Uh, <laughs> the Ukrainian poet Maxim Rilski said, may this be the prologue, not the epilogue. Nice. Oh. A new, a new, so in other words, the beginning. Okay. Hopefully this okay. is the beginning well, of, a, of a new era for Democrats when it comes to messaging. Oh, I thought you meant uh, the beginning of you schooling me. That's where I was thought you were going <laughs> with that too. one. <laughs> 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 uh, but you, ra you raise a good point. I, sh I can't have it both ways. I can't mock and malign Dems for not uh, uh, playing the game as well as Republicans. And then when they do, <laughs> mock and malign them. So point well taken, young Daniel. Uh, I may steal the idea and use it in a column and maybe give you credit. I don't know. Um, so uh, any closing thoughts uh, you gentlemen want to leave listeners with? I'll start with you, Dan, and then, Jacob, you get the last. Anything, any uh, predictions you want to make or just general observations? Uh, this is your opportunity. Go ahead. I, th I thought maybe it would be nice to, uh, to maybe title your article, right, to have uh, uh, mismanaged message Democrats mismanaged messaging uh reduction act right that would be the name right <laughs> yeah, because this is good. hopefully the prologue right where when it comes to mismanaged messaging right the democrats uh, put a put a put a stop on that no um so uh thank you so much for for having me on the show i think it's important for us sure we have the primaries behind us but we need to go out there we need to make sure that we get the Democrats elected. It's going to be a, a, a tough year. And uh, like Barack Obama said, don't boo, vote. Yeah, no, because we, we're learning, uh, and I'll give Jacob the last stop, but what we're learning, Dan, is that the Republicans will test, will contest every single election. They'll claim fraud uh, anytime they lose. They'll, they, of course, somehow or other, the fraud didn't work when they win. Uh, and uh, But that's the game they're playing. And so you, you just have to, you just have to turn off the noise and just uh, go to work because, uh, I mean, this is, like I say, I can't minimize uh, the stakes in this coming election. Uh, I do believe that democracy as we know it is at stake. Uh, any closing thoughts, Jacob? Uh, I agree, Ben, and I agree with uh, what, what Dan said. And I just hope that uh, Democratic campaigns out there across the country take the lesson from Kansas that... Uh, you know, when there were some campaigns that were still afraid to talk about abortion rights. I think the Kansas thing, again, I don't want to 
extrapolate too much from it and say that this means that Democrats everywhere are all of a sudden going to win their races. It's still going to be a tough race in a lot of places for Democrats. But I think we know what the uh, what 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 a prime issue is. And as long as the messaging is done right and we, you know, portray the Republicans as being way too extreme on abortion and gun rights and other things, we can we can have a much better midterm cycle than anybody thought possible a few months ago. And I think that's the lesson from Kansas that uh, I hope Democrats learn. And uh, that's my closing thought. All right. Very good. Jacob, uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Thank you.